Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. I'm your host, John Drury. I teach systematic theology and spiritual formation here at Wesley Seminary at Indian Wesleyan University. And Fresh Text is a weekly podcast uh, when a couple of pastor scholars jump in to dig into the weekly text. Uh, we take our text from the Revised Common Lectionary. So we hope that it will be uh, some equipping and edification for you if you're preparing uh, sermons or teachings for others or just for your own uh, personal enjoyment or edification. Uh, we offer this uh, to you. And yeah, my guest this week is Aaron Perry. He teaches uh, leadership and pastoral theology here at Wesley Seminary with me and is my most uh, regular co-host. And so I'm glad to uh, get to geek out with him and uh, think up some sermon ideas uh, playing with uh, a passage from the end of chapter 9 of Luke's Gospel. So yeah, we hope you enjoy the show. All right, let's do this. Our reading for this week, it's a year C, the third Sunday after Pentecost, is Luke chapter 9, verse 51 through 62. 9, verse 51 through 62. One of those verses we've mentioned many times uh, mm-hmm. over the course of this time. So I made sure to reserve this week for you, thinking it would be nice to make some connections there, although... Awesome. Do you want to read or do you want to pray this week? Uh, I'll pray. I want to pray. Okay. I shall read. So here goes. Luke chapter 9, beginning with verse 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans, to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? And he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, Jesus said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, Let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and is looking back is fit for the kingdom of God of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, may you give us your Holy Spirit afresh, even as you've already done so with this wonderful gift of this account. 
that's been preserved for us by the power of your Holy Spirit through the works of your people time and time and time again, through technologies that you've made available to us. We pray that you would give John and I fresh, or give me fresh uh, energy to be humble before it, to discuss it winsomely, that this would all be turned back to you in your glory and for used for your purposes. So to these ends we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for that prayer, man. Humble, winsome. Yeah, that's good. So we've talked about this, the first verse a few times. Right? Yeah. This, this ascension note, the, this is this is how Luke crafts the story as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven. So Luke is using this as a way to reorient us that this is where Jesus is is heading. The ascension is the culmination, which maybe is another indicator that the ending of Luke is, is an ascension one. I just want to toss that in there. Well, but, uh, it doesn't say into heaven in the original, though. That's your NIV doing a little work for oh, it's, you. Oh, well, taken, taken up. up. Yeah. Well, I know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my cheater Bible. <laughs> I agree that 24 is the ascension. I just don't know if it's the same event as the quote-unquote ascension in Acts 1. Oh, uh-huh. It could be that there's more than one event, a series of comings and goings. I don't know. Anyway, so, we won't rehash that, though. So he, he sets his face. Yeah. That's, that's re- repeated. Verse 51 and verse 53, uh, he sets his face towards Jerusalem both both times. And then I find it interesting. I had noticed this before. I, I had noticed it before, but I didn't. I left myself a note to make sure I noticed it again. Is 62 ends, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back. Ah. Fit for service, so it's a sense of of Jesus' own ministry is is on the line with his determination to go here, and it's like he won't be disrupted, he won't be called aside from it. it like the the temptation to call down fire that won't turn him aside, right? Um, and uh, the the temptation to be a person of honor in the culture, let the dead bury their their own dead. You go proclaim the, the kingdom of God. That's not going to turn them aside. You know, that's the neither neither this of those is about things. his resoluteness as much as the disciples that he's speaking yeah, to here. Yeah, these, yeah. These are these are things that that could call him aside. But he's like, no. If, if he's going to be fit, he's going to keep his face set toward Jerusalem. I'm really drawn by your choice to kind of interpret these three, what could be referred to as hard sayings, you know, these are, these are tough Mm. statements, you know, that this series of three hard sayings to interpret them as applying first and foremost to Jesus himself, right? This is reflecting the state that he is in. Mm -hmm. Now we can talk about the extent to which and in what way they apply to us now, but in order to get there well, we need to see how. They fit the moment of his story and his journey, right? Mm -hmm. These are not just general instructions. These are specific things spoken to three specific people at a specific time in Jesus' history, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but I get the vibe that like, at least in Luke's mind, given where he's chosen to put these statements, because they also appear in Matthew, but not in the same place. So, and they're not in Mark. So they seem like they'd be this more kind of free-floating Saying like Jesus, yeah, yeah. right? So yeah. they don't fit just in one narrative place. By Luke choosing to put them where he puts them, he's inviting us to do, I think, exactly what you're saying. Because Jesus, there's not an instruction when Jesus first calls the disciples at the beginning of Luke to leave everything. They 
it seems to me more that they're freely choosing to leave everything to follow him, right? But now as he's transitioning from his Galilean ministry, where he may have been a lot more patient with people, you know, who are coming and going, the crowds, you know, now that he's setting his sights on Jerusalem, the stakes have been raised, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. okay, now if you're going to, now you're going from being a disciple to being a follower, right? And to really be a follower brings with it letting go of the things that are going to hold you back. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You can't just come out and see me every weekend at Capernaum. This is a, we're stepping up. This is next level discipleship. I don't know. It's a thought that, that came to mind, but seeing it as applying to him first, as any good preacher would do, right? You're, you're, he, he himself is saying, I am not looking back. So if you want to come with me, you can't either, yeah. you know? And we're already given that as a, as a hint in the first one. The son of man has no place That's to right. his head. I mean, this, this is my reality. This is, and this is the one I'm, I'm facing. And it actually goes through the people did not receive him in the Samaritan village. I mean, that, that has just happened. And I was like, this is, this is the reality. And, that, and that's not going to slow me down. Like, that is my reality. That's not going to slow me down. I like your phrase, that's not going to slow me down, as kind of a thematic that holds this together. Mm. That's a nice phrasing. Resolution. And just being struck. So I I study leadership. Like, we can kind of like scoff and scorn, blah, 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 Jesus the leader. Oh, my goodness, this is leadership. Yeah. Like, there's the cheesy version of that. There's the good kind. Let's do the good kind. (laughs) Like, the courage, the self awareness, the conviction of his own vocation. The willingness to still teach, his ability to separate his desires from those of the disciples without breaking fellowship with them. Right when he says, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven? Jesus turned, rebuked them and said they, and they went to another village, but the disciples go with them. It's, it's like he's able to rebuke them, but they don't, they don't say, forget you and off they go. You know, that's, it's amazing. It's amazing to me. He's, he's just a remarkable man. I mean, if you were just reading this as an ancient book and have no sense of conviction that you should pattern your life after this person, this is a remarkable account of a leader in the first century. Yeah. And there's even, there's so much, I'm noticing the grace in the sort of commanding intensity here in what you pointed about, like not breaking fellowship with them, even though different, you know, rebuking. Mm -hmm. And even implicit in these three statements to would-be disciples, right? That it's like, it's easy to hear that as kind of, if you think of it as like, sometimes the convictions with which we come to the text can actually blind us sometimes. You know, like you mentioned, if you didn't come with any conviction and just were, that you should model your life after this person, but just read it, you know? Actually, the conviction can sometimes obscure us and make us then try to make this text softer because we hear it and we're kind of like, well, if I'm coming in with the conviction that like, being a follower of Jesus is how I quote, get to heaven. And he's saying, I won't get to heaven. And if I bury my dad, is that what he's saying? Mm. You know, like, like we, we can actually cloud our own judgment instead mm-hmm. of seeing it in the context of the story. Mm-hmm. He's at this key moment when he's heading towards Jerusalem and he is actually letting these people know. I mean, that is, it's suddenly occurring to me, the gift of grace it is to say, foxes have their holes, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He's saying, heads up, <laughs> you're going to follow me. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you know, if, if, if you follow me, you're not going to have the creature comforts that you um, are used to, mm. which then is implicitly, I mean, he literally is giving the guy in the second one, right? Leave the dead to bury their own dead. As for you, go and proclaim the kingdom. I mean, he's kind of basically saying like, if you want to remain dead, that's fine. <laughs> you know, like you can go do that. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> if you want to be a fox. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's, it, there is a kind of strange sort of permission here because 
I'm not, I mean, I'm not saying this text doesn't apply to us, but we have to see it in its proper context as the, because, uh, you know, the same author who wrote Luke's wrote, you know, wrote the book of Acts. And he knows that as the word goes, you know, after Christ has accomplished his death and resurrection, after he's accomplished his being taken up, <laughs> he, uh, as the word goes out, it's received in all kinds of different lives, right? Mm. It's not like everywhere that Paul goes. These are the restrictions yeah. laid on every single yeah. believer. Yeah. They are the restrictions laid on Paul to live in. This is the call of an apostolic life. Yeah. This is what the medievals would say. Yeah. I mean, they, they maybe were went too far in this direction, but but they, they would say like, no, these don't apply to everybody, but some people have to obey this. Mm-hmm. Those who are given a, now we can make too strong of a clergy lay distinction, I think, and to make a mistake that direction. Mm-hmm. But I think we'll misread the text if we think of it as like, all Christians have to do exactly these three things because then how could I not suffer the, how could I not give into the temptation as a preacher to make sure that it's a swallowable message on yeah. Sunday, right? Yeah. But if you're going to be with Jesus and bear witness to his suffering in this particular way that he's calling, I don't know, I, I maybe I'm getting too far ahead of ourselves, but I'm just trying to really take seriously the context that Luke puts this cost in. Mm-hmm. You almost get the sense that these these ra- these stakes would not have been introduced prior to this moment, mm-hmm. you know, and even fitting these are, you know, in chapter eight and eight and, you know, chapter nine, we've already had the transfiguration. We've already had Peter's confession. It's kind of like, I've given you enough, right? The core disciples, right? And if, if you're not, uh, if you're not in now, it's Fisher cut bait time, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if any of that made sense, but no, I, I just hear it as the the putting this in the real time of the story that there is a there is a new setting in which they're they're moving here. Uh, I don't I don't know movie I don't know movies all that all that well, but I, I like at some point you feel you feel the 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 sense of a movie turning into oh this this is this is that kind of movie. This is this is the movie that I'm that I'm that I'm watching, all right? Or this is this is where we are in the movie, you know, kind of the the comedy that was given for for relief mm. er, earlier on in a in a fairly serious movie or in, in an action movie. That's probably going to take a step back as we now move into more and in, more intense times, and that's kind of what I was kind of what I read here is that the the levity's now gone, and now it's into the the meat of what's happening. You know, there's going to be there's going to be more clarity. There's going to be uh, more restriction. There's going to be uh, higher stakes, so to speak. As the time approached for him to be taken up, Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and mixed, clarity, restriction, mi- focus mixed into that. I mean, so you have you have ascension and crucifixion. I'll put into that that if he is going to be if he's going to receive the honor of sitting yeah. at the right hand of the Father, he must go. By way of Jerusalem, he right, must which occurs that. throughout those Easter passages that we've just finished going through, right? Yeah. Like in Luke twenty-four, yeah. this the Messiah must suffer and then be glorified, yeah. right? Yeah. And this phrase "be taken up" has this kind of broader, may have the broader connotation of a phrase like "glorified" in in the Book of John. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, it's a way of naming the kind of the whole final event in a way. You know, that that culminates in being taken, you know, removed from their visible presence. Because the taken up, it has that that nice, uh, you know how in the book of John you have lifted up and glorified and you hear them and you think, 
oh, lift it up. It's like exalted, right? But then he says it's the way he's going to die, right? I do wonder if Luke's also yeah. toying with that. You know, same with like Exodus during the Transfiguration when they say, they're talking about his Exodus. Mm-hmm. They, they've planted these little seeds, Exodus, mm-hmm. lifted up. You know, the full meaning of these words are, are still to be revealed mm. at the end of the story. Yeah, and the value of the author, so for the first time somebody would read or hear this, the value of these things being little hints and pointers to where it's going, mm-hmm. and yet also the value of hindsight as you read right. this the second and third and fourth and fiftieth fiftieth time, that there's some things that the the depth and richness of how this was crafted starts to get even even clearer. Mm-hmm. That's why it can be a fresh so I want, I want, I want to go back because I got a little note in my Bible here go about Isaiah 50. And so I just want to read a little bit from, from Isaiah 50 for you. This is about the, the servant's obedience in the midst of Israel's sin. Picking up at verse four, the sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me by morning by morning. He wakens my ear to listen to the one being taught. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears. So I'm thinking about the end of Luke. Uh, and I have not been rebellious. I have not drawn back. I have offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting because the sovereign Lord helps me. I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint and <laughs> I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It's the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who is he that will condemn me? They will all wear out like a garment. The moths will eat them up. You know, there's echoes that we're hearing, uh, and that ends at verse verse nine. Uh, there's there's echoes in that of. Is there a specific verse that your Bible is highlighting there, or just uh, specifically? I have set my face like flint. Right, the setting of his face yeah. towards Jerusalem. Yeah, which and, verse and the, is that? That's verse seven B. Okay, and even the vindication that he is he's wanting. So here. The Samaritan village will not entertain them, so there's, mm-hmm. there's no honor shown to him. His disciples want to honor him by calling down, but he's not willing to accept their honor. Ah. He's not willing to accept theirs. He keeps on pressing forward because he knows the root of his of his honor. The honor is that which can, is going to come from the Father in this. That's, that's the way he has to go. Wow, that's fascinating. Well, let's take a quick break and come back and maybe riff off that a little more and see where it goes. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. We're looking at Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through, what is it, 62 to the end of that chapter. It's this key turning point in the book of Luke. Uh, First uh, nine chapters after the birth stories. So chapters, you know, about three through most of nine take place mostly in Galilee. And then now we have this long journey that runs from 951 to the beginning of 19 when you have the triumphal entry. So it's this this journey toward Jerusalem that begins with him knowing that his days, well, it doesn't say he knows, but it's implied, I suppose, maybe. But when the days had been fulfilled for him, for the taking up of him, and he himself set his face to the proceeding unto Jerusalem, right? And then then from there, these... And, and I think your narratives, your, your shorthand for then the rest of this passage then is kind of these, these distractions or temptations from that setting of the face. I like that. That's a very helpful way of, uh, of picturing it. Um, I was glancing uh, at Isaiah 50, verse uh, 7. 
Would you say it was 57, the second half of that verse? 50 verse 7, second half. Oh, I see. I was looking at the wrong chapter. Here it is, verse 7. Oh, man, that is too cool. Set my face. It's the, the, the same exact phrase is in the, in the Greek version of Isaiah. Okay. So I, wonder, I was wondering if that's why your Bible was giving that, you know, a to prosopon mu, right? And here it's, uh, yeah, esterisen to prosopon, you know, just that kind of setting of the face. But then, yeah, that whole context, uh, it's almost like it's, you know, you can't always count on this in the New Testament when they make an allusion to an Old Testament that they're alluding to the whole chapter. Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not, mm-hmm. you know, like when, you know, Matthew, Mark, when Jesus uh, says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You go look up Psalm 22. And you're like, oh, the whole song actually is going on, even though he only quotes one verse. Mm-hmm. Boy, when you read Isaiah 50 there, I felt a lot of the, a lot of the themes of what's to come here yeah. that really confirm your hunch that there's a kind of... Uh, what dishonor am I willing to sacrifice for the greater honor of God's pleasure, you know, mm-hmm. for of God's taking me up? I just think that's really cool because I think you're right. I think James and John, man, it's so interesting. James and John, right? Who we, who we also have that famous story of them, right? Coming to Jesus and asking for the right and left hand in glory and mm-hmm. honor. Right. And you can see here how even that request, it comes out of this mixed motive. It's, it's a deep loyalty to Jesus, right? Yeah. It's a loyalty to Jesus that gets disordered by a mis, you know, misunderstanding and lack of faith and, and, and a mixed desire for their own glory. Right. Cause you can feel it there. Like, Hey, you want us to call down fire? Cause they're kind of like, cause you know, we just learned how to do that. <laughs> and it's pretty cool. You know, like it's pretty cool to be able to call down fire on people. Uh, <laughs> Didn't uh, didn't John just do something? I don't want to get too outside the text, but in the previous two verses, it has John answered, and the answer is right after the "Who is the greatest?" stuff. They saw a man driving out demons, and he said, "We yeah. tried to stop him because he's not one of us." And Jesus says, "Whoever's not against you is for you." Yeah, that's a similar vibe, though. It's kind of John, kind of bragging, like, "Hey, <laughs> hey, Jesus, I know, I know what to do. Like, I know what's yeah. going. On. I know who's in. Right? I, I got." And it's kind of funny to have James and John now as if he's like, he, he had just gotten rebuked. Mm. <laughs> so now he's like, oh, hey, James, will you come with me for this one? <laughs> just in case. Mm. <laughs> Ooh, and I just saw it. Verse 55. And he turned and rebuked them. And it, it the imagery there is he's on the road, right? Mm. He's going, right? And they're behind him. And he said he sent messengers, Right, so maybe the messengers went ahead. He's marching along the road. This is how I'm picturing it. Jesus marching along. He's got the 12, maybe some other disciples, maybe the 70, maybe a crowd, right? Kind of gathered with him. He's in the front of them, marching along, right? Mm-hmm. Sent some messengers. The messengers come back and say, you're not welcome here. They heard you've got your eye on Jerusalem. Apparently that's a problem. We'll have to think about what that means. And then James and John are like right there, you know, pretty close up to the front of the crowd and they speak and he turns around, right? That's how I'm picturing it Mm -hmm. at least, you know, turning around and looking at them and calling them out, you know, like, no, we're not going to do that, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Let's, and it says they went on to another village, just move on to the next village, you know? 
shake the dust off your feet, as he's going to say in chapter 10, right? And it's kind of like this discussion has gone in camera, that Luke isn't going to tell us what did Jesus say to them. It's like there's a, there's a certain amount that it's, it's suffi- it suffice it to you that he rebuked them. Yeah. And what he said is between them and him, right? There's, there's a way that, that even they're, they're mm-hmm. protected. They're protected a little bit. A little bit, yeah. And interestingly, it's not the exact same thing as 50, right? Do not stop him for the one who is not against you is for you. Well, this is an example. It's like maybe John thought he learned a lesson. Oh, but but these people are like against you, Jesus. Hmm. <laughs> He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But don't, we're not going to bring hellfire yet, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> and again, he just knows what the main what the main task is, hmm. right? This is this leadership thing that you were highlighting, right? This is a great example of where like Jesus has, like they have the right to be annoyed by the Samaritan village. And apparently they imagine... And we have reason to believe they do have the power to do something about it. And he's choosing not to. And he doesn't say, at least as far as we know, right? No, it's great. Who cares? They don't need to accept me. It's like, no, no, they, yeah, they were supposed to, but they didn't. And we're going to move on. We're not mm-hmm. going to, yeah. we're not going to pick that fight today. Yeah. Uh, that's so striking. I'm trying to picture what his face would have looked like when they saw it, because we're told twice that, and especially if we have that notion from Isaiah 50, this this hardness, mm. right? The hardness. And and if we read this in terms of love, that the purpose of Jesus's action is from the heart of God, which is a heart of love, then there there seems to be a way that he could be loving and yet completely determined and completely fierce in that mm-hmm. in that way that there is no dis, there was it, it was not it was possible for there to be this fierce determination and love bound up in the same face mm-hmm. and so we're told that this is the face he has set towards Jerusalem and yet if he turns to speak to them this is the face that they see and i'm like man right that that gets me wanted to preach because i'm like man i think about like jesus has set his face towards each one of us like that. Yeah. Like that's the, that's the posture he takes towards us as these rebels whom he will defeat and win over, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they, he will, he will, and yet, and yet completely respect as well. I mean, it's, I don't know how all that works together. You know, it's kind of paradoxical how he's able to, to do all those things, but I'm like, that's, that's the face that Jesus sets towards us and yeah, kind of daunting, intriguing, scary, Lots of responses I would have to it. Compelling. Compelling. No question. <laughs> even if, even if, uh, I'm, sometimes something can be compelling that's also re- repulsive, you I'm, know, I'm, at the same time, but there, it's, it's hard to not capture your attention. I'm picturing there's a scene from the last battle in the Chronicles of Narnia and everyone is lined up and they're said that they are, uh, they look in the face of Aslan. It says they have no choice about it. And some of them, <laughs> some of them respond to the face of Aslan by their own faces being uh, hardened, full of hatred and fear. And some of them mm. respond by uh, responding and be- becoming filled with love and still a little bit of fright. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And and I can think of there, there's no neutral response to this face of Jesus. You don't you don't see this face that is hard and fierce and loving, and and walk away from it saying. You know, whatever shoulder shrug. There, there's no neutral response. It is when you when you come face to face with Jesus, there is only hatred and loathing and fear, or love and a bit of fright. Right, 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 right. And notice how what, the one thing shared on all sides is fear. <laughs> like, right? yeah. And and of course, fear is. And you get that sense of 
regularly how often the scriptures say, you know, fear not. And yet the scriptures also praise fear of the Lord. Yeah. You know, now, do these words mean different things in context? Yes, 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 yes. But having said that. They're not completely unrelated. They're not completely unrelated. <laughs> exactly. Right. There's still a sense in which, yeah, the fear is the proper mode of the creature relating to God. Yeah. And when God takes on flesh and sets his sights on Jerusalem, you know, it's a little scary. And random thought here, but maybe James and John, as I start to empathize with them a little bit, saw his determination and misinterpreted fierceness as vengefulness. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 I don't know, man, as a kind of self-righteous, angry person, <laughs> I uh, connect with James and John. You know, I'm kind of like... When something seems wrong, do you know what I mean? I mean, I don't always pick the fight, but I do stew in myself and I do go to friends and to my wife and talk about, you know, <laughs> I kind of call down fire on <laughs> people who I think are wrongheaded, yep. you know? And so I'm feeling rebuked in, an inv- in, a, in a way that's freeing though, as we read this passage, right? Being challenged to be like, you know... How much, how quick am I to want to be distracted by the little obstacles when Jesus has bigger fish to fry? Um, and that kind of excites me mm-hmm. about what it means to, to move forward. And like you said, I, I don't know if I've ever seen the, the close resonance between the opening line, the foxes have holes and birds have their nests right on the heels of this first rejection as he starts traveling, mm. right? To just really make it clear it's kind of like it's not just that you're leaving your own home it's that you're not necessarily being invited into a safe place Mm. right following jesus is dangerous (laughs) yeah i'm I'm reflecting on on this that james and john have this certain amount of of passion and vitriol and in a sense whenever the the stakes don't get decreased here it's not like jesus is calming them down it's like they're not yet passionate enough Mm. you know it's it's like they've they found a spot to like let this passion get released from them, right? To to get out this this vengeance or this frustration, this anger, and it's like it's like Jesus is saying, no, that um, you got to you got to ramp it up. Like like if you if you if you cut it off now, uh. you, you're stopping it short. Because sometimes we think about leadership as as one who brings calmness to the room, and that can be true, and sometimes it's necessary. But sometimes you need a leader to ramp you up. You need right. you need a leader to to turn up the heat as much as turn it down, That's right? right? Those are different things, and and I wonder if there's a, if there's a way that that the following statements: foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, son of man has no place to lay his head. First, let me go. Uh, let the dead bury their own dead. Uh, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back as fit for the service. It's like Jesus hasn't turned down the volume of James and John. It's like he's just he's turning it up. They're they're too cool, right? They're they're not yet hot enough. Their passion isn't yet strong enough. He wants to. He wants to tamp it, you know, and, and fuel it a little bit more, you know? Yeah, their passion's almost too small. Yeah. I, I'm hearing what you're saying because they're thinking, well, this Samaritan village didn't house us, unlike the other one that's gonna. You know, they're they're trying to see who's the good guys and who the bad guys are. And Jesus kind of like, you know, son of man has nowhere to lay his head, right? You're, yeah. you're, you're getting caught up in the the petty matter of, you know what I mean? I want you to see that actually, no... I'm expecting to be rejected and even abandoned by you. Mm. Right? I mean it's it's he's he's expecting, you know, I'm 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 liking that of that ramping it up, right? 
Right, because they say this line, foxes have holes, could actually stir up the James and John even more to be like, yeah, yeah, dang Samaritans. <laughs> Why didn't they let us stay? <laughs> and fun fact, I just noticed that, you know, we're only half a chapter away from the parable of the Good Samaritan, which sticks the the the, the use of the Samaritan as a positive example mm-hmm. is quite striking in front of these disciples yeah. who wanted to bring down fire on a Samaritan village who didn't welcome Jesus. Yeah. But also confirms that this wasn't mere stereotyping. It was actually rooted in a sense that maybe the disciples were feeling unwelcomed, you know, as they pushed out into this more edgier uh season of ministry. Yeah. The 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 character who's commended in the Good Samaritan is from a group that they have reason to be angry, frustrated, annoyed, annoyed at. Not not simply stereotypically, but actually. Yeah. You know, from what from what has just happened. Yeah. Dude, this text is wild, man. I I I have never combined so carefully as you've helped me do today, the 57 through 62, the, these three sayings with the James and John story and the face set on Jerusalem, like really treating that as mm. one text. Like some of the text boundaries that the revised common lectionary uses, sometimes they're kind of dumb. And I'm like, that didn't make sense. Why did they break it off there? You know what I mean? That's happened to us sometimes. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times it will force me to focus on a particular set of passages. You know what I mean? And sometimes I'll see connections that I've never seen before. And you're helping me see them in this conversation, the way that the face set on Jerusalem really sets the tone for these, these hard sayings. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's, uh, let's take a quick break and we come back. Let's, uh, let's write a sermon. We're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm your host, John Drury. I'm here with my most regularist guestus, uh, Aaron Perry. I had to remember your name. No, I didn't. I just was like, why did I put that in Latin? Guestus. Anyway, uh, not even a word. Um, and we're looking at Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 62. Um, been having a bit of a chat, connecting up with a bunch of things. And I've been, I don't know, I've been learning a lot. So I hope it's been uh, been helpful for y'all as you're listening in. So now we're just going to bring it to a close by just kind of exploring some uh, possible ways we could go with this uh, homiletically. So uh, let's write a sermon. What do we want to focus on? What, uh, what angle should we take? So part of me wants to preach this and put people in the substitute people in for Jerusalem and Jesus mm. sets his face toward us mm-hmm. and what Jesus has overcome precisely to come to us mm. Uh, and make us look into the face of Jesus. I think that's mm. that's one way I, I would like to preach it. Uh, and the other one I think is a way for us to put ourselves in the in the shoes of Jesus and to start to tease out the the various obstacles that that we should expect for us. Kind of like a Pilgrim's Progress kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like like if we're going to follow after him, then we should anticipate uh, facing facing the same challenges and then teasing out even some of the complexity of it because it is pretty complex. I mean, you can even preach three sermons on that. Um Christian the the Christian's relationship to material goods. You know, if you right. want to look at that in verse 58, the Christian's uh responsibility within his within his family to 
go and bury my father, you know, and, and, and Christians value highly the category of family and, and are told to honor their father and mother, you know, and some, and some tension in that. And yet at times we might have to honor Jesus over honoring our parents or honoring other people who are important in our lives. And then maybe the, the final one would be the, the tension of this relationship that it's like the, it's like this middle challenge of going and burying my father has one set of challenges, which is, am I going to behave in the honorable fashion and fulfill my good familial duty? And the second one is kind of, but, but the father's dead. The father's not going to know if the son buries him or not. You know, the mm-hmm. neighbors are going to know, but the father's not going to know. But the family that are, that the fellow wants to say goodbye to, they're going to know. They, they are living and present. They're going to know if the first person never came back to say goodbye. And so the ongoing tensions that might, that might exist in the cost of following Jesus. Oh, and the flip side of that is, is Christians value relationships. You know, we're often told like, invite your friends and family, you know, in the, in the gospel of John, um, Andrew goes and gets Peter, you know, we're, we're told to value those things. And here there's, there's at least a strain put on them. And so I, I can see three sermons. One, two are, are individual sermons, and then one is like a series of three. The first one I might preach is Jesus setting his face toward us. The second might be obstacles that we would overcome, and that would be a three-point sermon that right, are right, found yeah. there. And then um, that might get fleshed. And then I could also see that as being three sermons on you know obstacles to sure. overcome and going into the complexity of each one of those heart sayings. Yeah, Just off the top of so my funny. head. <laughs> Yeah, it occurs to me that as you were talking through it, that those second two are so similar in the sense of family obligations, which then makes me wonder if even though the first one's about material goods, you know, it is about your household and your your connections and commitments. So in, in many ways, the whole thing is about this tension between natural obligations mm-hmm. and, you know, a supernatural calling. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's at least what comes out uh, in my mind. <laughs> you know what I'm just thinking about? Yeah. Is the tension between Jesus and his own family, right? Yeah. It's like, it's like he doesn't say goodbye to his family. He doesn't tell him where he's going. He just he just hangs back at his father's house. And what's his, what do they say to him? Yeah, we've been looking for you. Why did you do this to but, us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, in a, in a sense, they, they have dishonored him. And I mean, even the prophecy given to Mary that a, a sword will pierce her own heart mm-hmm. and, and her own... Son, why have you treated us whole? Behold, your father and I have been searching you for you in great distress. Yeah. He's like, why are you looking for me? Did you not know I must be? Hmm. Although strikingly, it does say that he goes back with them and was submissive to them. Yep. Yeah. So there's a time and place, right? No, that's true. And there's that, you know, they come to visit him and he's like, my mother and brothers are those who follow the word. I mean, he himself, he's not, let me, let me put it this way. I think this would be helpful to slip into a sermon. If you talked about this family stuff is to say, Jesus is not asking us to do anything that he himself hasn't suffered. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And does that make it easier? Eh, probably not, right? But at least it helps to know, to recognize. It makes it possible. Like, yes. Like this could not be done rightly without Jesus yes. having done it and going with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's about discernment, listening to him. Because, of course, if, you know, Jesus says, oh, you know, I'm not leaving for two more days. You want to go say goodbye, go ahead. But hey, if we're leaving, right? You, I picture these all as like on the road scenes, right? Yeah. People like hiking with him and saying, hey, can I go back real quick? And he's like, dude, we're going, we're leaving, you know? Um, yeah, no, that's that's really striking. No, there are definitely a, it's definitely a ready-made three-point sermon, you know, with the cost of, <laughs> you know, what's so funny is the, 
the thing that I'm the most drawn to for preaching is 54, 54, 55. It's really focusing in on hmm. James and John. Uh, maybe it's just cause I kind of resonate with them and, and the, I feel like there's a little bit of a, there's a sermon to be preached here about, about, uh, you know, I mean, you, you could ask the question, you know, um, who, who, who in your life or what group of people, what nation even, right? Do you feel that internal ire of wanting to call fire down from heaven to consume, hmm. you know, and to notice there's a kind of even pride in the fact that we think, you know, you, I get the mm. impression that they think uh, that Jesus is going to be impressed with their passion, mm -hmm. right? I feel like there's a whole sermon I, I'd like to work on. That, yeah, I can't finish it right now. But uh, but it's riffing off the stuff you talked about, the passion, about ordered passions. Yeah. Not, not, not suppressed passion, yeah. but passion that's directed yeah. to its proper end. You know, I, I, maybe it's because I'm on a context of like a university campus. Right. And even though I teach mostly adults in the seminary, I end up hanging around high school kids at the youth group I volunteer at and, and college kids sometimes around campus, you know, and you definitely encounter a lot of passion, a lot of James and John passion, you know, like this excitement to follow Jesus and this uh, kind of like, hey, should, should we call down fire on the, you know what I mean? Like I can totally see some of the. The people who like, literally it's how we talk. They're on fire for Jesus, yeah. right? Like they just fit that. That's a character that especially is prominent in a, in a university campus setting, but in a youth group too, you know what I mean? And it's like, and it's so tricky because as a pastor and preacher, you tend to want to whip that up, but then you have to like deal with the, the dark side of it. Right. Mm -hmm. And you see Jesus doing that here. And then to follow your lead about how, Maybe these statements in the following, these three statements in this verses that follow as a kind of ramping up of that passion. Like, no, I don't want your passions beautiful. I'd love to, I want to preach sometime on, sometime on passion because I think as a kind of like, you know, brainy, bookish person, I, even like when I was in college, I often would define myself in opposition to that type of person. You know, the passionate person. Yeah, but I'm, you know. I'm going to try to be faithful, not worry about being, you know, <laughs> and I'm actually going to, you know, like read <laughs> the Bible so that I actually know what I'm talking about instead of a bunch of passion without any content. Zeal, you don't want to zeal without right. knowledge, right? Yeah. Oh, go ahead. You, yeah. Is that what you're going yeah. to say? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I quoted that so much when I was in college because I was an arrogant uh, jerk, but, uh, <laughs> but, I, but over the, the years, it's become so clear to me that how crucial that passion is and how, how much it's helped me to really tap into my passions and desires and not just think that somehow the Christian life is some kind of robotic kind of yeah. mental activity. Yeah. So to find a way to kind of, to praise passion, but then challenge it to be directed rightly, which then ties right into the, the setting of the face. Right. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's the question I think is, you know, we ask people, what's your passion? Maybe we substitute for that question. Uh, what are you setting your face on? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so that that directs your passions. Cause, cause we asked that question, what's your passion? And it's like, it's not really relevant. Passion doesn't have an object. It's just there. You know, I mean, it does, but it's, it's passion can flip. You know, you say I'm passionate about X. Yeah. But you might not be passionate about it a year from now. So the question is, what are you setting your face on? Mm -hmm. 
and then letting that direct your passions. I don't know. Maybe that's a little too abstract from the text, but I feel like there would be something really practical there for at least some audiences, maybe not all, but you could even call it burn rightly. <laughs> burn rightly. Instead of brightly, burn rightly. Yeah, I like it. Well, there's a whole bunch of phrases. Burn rightly. Um, I'd, I'd like to play with fire and ire a little bit, mm -hmm. you know, uh, be, beware of your fire yeah. turning into ire. Um, or you will tire. Oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this got cheesy real fast. <laughs> Hey, I'm just I'm just uh, thinking about the end. So the end of Luke doesn't have Mary as mother at the cross. She doesn't show up again until Acts. Yeah, you know, and she's and she's in. It's like Luke is again subtly put in. It's like, mm. but in John, she's there and he takes care of her. But in Luke, mm -hmm. she, she's not there. It's like this is one that I mean, it's kind of like. But even in John, it's it's a it's 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 a tragic. He takes care of her, but it's very it's heartbreaking. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, there, go with her. Yeah, it's like I'm not your son anymore. I right? didn't yeah, basically. He's, he gives them to each other. You know. Yeah. Um, this this is your son. This is this is your it's, mother. Um, here's your son. Here's your mother. But I'm thinking even wow. of of a sense of loss. There's a way that your mother being present in this moment of exposure would be. You, you'd almost want her not present. Mm. On another, on the other hand. Your mother, if there is a time you would want your mom's presence, mm -hmm. it's this time whenever everyone else has scorned you, and here's one who you want, you expect to love you right to the end unconditionally is your is your mom, and you know that I mean the the relationship between the mother and the firstborn son in the first century is crucial, yeah, right? Yeah, he's supposed to take care of her, and it, it's like if if there's a time when Jesus would have wanted his mom's presence, it's almost like the crucifixion would be it. You know, on, on the one side of it, and maybe maybe Luke gives us a subtle hint that, or a subtle subtlety that he didn't even have her. He didn't have her then. You know, he really did. Uh, she, in a sense, uh, she let the dead bury their own dead. Yeah, and and he had to keep on proclaiming the kingdom. You know, like she let her son be be buried because she doesn't show up again until she comes around. You know, yeah. You know, she's she's in a sense rehonored, but and she's represent, but it's in it's in Jesus's terms. Then you know, it's like she's. She has been set out of the place of prominence because at the start of Luke, she's very prominent, mm -hmm. you know, but it's like she's she's complete. And then she's and then she's gone and then she shows back up. But it's under uh, devotion to him. It's yeah. A, it's like now as she's a member of the church, yeah. not as because of the family relation. Yeah. It's not why she's there, yeah. um, which is probably symbolically what's happening in John in John 19 in the handing of the mother over to but the, as the church, the beloved the, disciple, the church vice in the versa. Old Testament, yeah. Well, the, the yeah, people, the people of the Jews. And, yeah. Then yeah. at least it has some kind of symbolic value of however you take it, even if yeah. you take it literally, it's saying your yeah. relationship to me is now mediated through you being yeah. a member of the church yeah. rather than as my natural mother. Yeah. And the strain that that the call of Christ, that discipleship puts on family relations is very real. Yeah. And even just taking some time in a sermon to to acknowledge that yeah. and express some kind of empathy and recognition that you some of you are already experiencing this strain. Yeah. Some of you feel this strain coming and it's holding you back in your commitment. Mm -hmm. Maybe Christ has called you to a certain kind of choice or way of life mm -hmm. that you're reluctant to step into, or you're altering the deal to make it a little bit safer because not because you're trying to protect yourself per se, but because you just think your parents won't approve or, you know what I mean? That happens a lot. Now, is it just simply like, you know, forget them, screw them, right? No, the whole witness of scripture places attention on that. But at the same time, 
you know, what do you set your face on? Right. You know, um, I don't know, man. Uh, you know, th- this in a very strange way, this could be a mother's day or a father's day <laughs> passage. Yes. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this just personally, when we, when we moved to Marion and moved 700 miles ish away from my parents and my dad was diagnosed with cancer. I'm mm-hmm. like, like this was a passage that, that mm. came, came to mind, you know, and what a gift it was for my parents to say, you, to say, no, you, you set your face towards where God, toward yeah. where God is calling you. And man, to remind parents, they can give a wonderful gift to their children mm. by letting them know that their relationships are rightly ordered. And, yeah. and to encourage a right ordering of their children's relationships that God comes first and they come second. And to remind, I mean, you could also make this a child dedication passage. That's right. Right. Yeah. yeah. And look, and you say, you know, blessed be you parents who have, who without fully realizing it, perhaps you're saying today um, that what God wants from this child is more important than what I want, you know, and that I will not measure their loyalty to Christ based on how, well, they honor me by the world's standards. Yeah. yeah. Right? Oh, man. That's a challenging word, man. Well, there's a whole bunch of sermons in there. A whole there. bunch of sermons. Actually, they're the same sermon. You just preach them slightly different on Mother's Day or maybe Education Day. Well, <laughs> or well, sort of random. Look at the genius of Luke, though. He's put the whole, yeah. he's put the whole gospel in, in 11 verses. There you go. Crucifixion, ascension, uh, presumed resurrection, if there's ascension. Uh, yes. The challenge of discipleship, the dishonor of Christ, the honor of the Father. It's all there. It's all there. It's all there. <laughs> maybe, maybe hey, what, what's what's uh, verse 57 say? NIV has, as they were walking along the road. Does it happen to say, like, as they were walking along the way or something like that, that it's maybe it's an illusion to being followers of the way? Yeah. In total. I mean, yeah. that could, that, yeah. I mean, that could just along be like, yeah, as they're going along the way, you know? And it could also mean, man, this is, this is what it means to go along the way. Well, and it is, this is the same verb. The proceeding, that he's proceeding towards Jerusalem, he's going. It's the same verb, mm. right? I always like to translate it proceeding because I think there is a kind of even political energy. Oh, yeah. He's, yeah, yeah, he's yeah, marching yeah. on procession. Yeah. This is a procession. Yeah. So always lean on that. And yeah. it is the – because there are other words. And it is – you know, Peruamai has that kind of proceeding. It has a little bit more energy to it than – you know, erkomai, which is your more generic yep. going, coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas this is proceeding. It has mm. a little more energy to it. Not automatically, but I think in Luke's usage of it, I at think least. it's fair, fair play and a fair inspiration. Even even yeah. if even if it's not in Luke's mind, it's fair encouragement in the Christian life. Yeah. And, and our, there's another sermon. I mean, perhaps isogetic. <laughs> <laughs> but, but well, it's it's one of those things where you know me. I'm I, I give lots of permission for uh, isogesis. I like to note when I have an if one has an eisegetical uh, insight to say actually that's more exegetically grounded than you realize yeah, and point I, it out. Eisegesis <laughs> can be good theological exegesis. You know, it's, it's not what's actually there in the text necessarily, but man, it's what's there in the story. It's what's, it's what's there in the overarching yeah. theme of how we can. Or as Ken likes to say, it. it's just preaching. You're allowed to. You're allowed. You're allowed to do things in preaching that you know. But I think. I think uh, um, you know, that, that's another sermon is like, is, is putting ourselves, what, what are we proceeding toward? Like, what is the procession of our life? Cause we often think of in the West as our lives as, as winding down. Ah. Uh, and, and this is not it. He, his, up. his life is ramping up to, that's to his, to his end. And that's I think a good, that's, in turn, I mentioned earlier young folks, but that's actually a nice yeah. sermon 
if you have a slightly older congregation yep. to talk a little bit more about what it means to be proceeding yep. along the way toward your end. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. And actually, even when you're saying that the winding down versus winding up, I, I, I like that that would fit into the sermon idea I was mentioning earlier that mm-hmm. started with James and John, mm-hmm. but really the heart of that sermon, I feel like is that question, you know, what are you setting your face on? Mm-hmm. I like that question. That's a fun one. Mm-hmm. And it's the setting of the face that then gives you the principle of discernment for whether to attend to the, the extent of your natural obligations, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. The because fa- then it's like, if it's going it, to, on the days when what I've set my face to in my followership, followership of Christ, when, when, when I may have to compromise that in order to fulfill family obligations, family obligations lose. Right. So you don't have to say, you know, screw your family no matter what. You know, because that doesn't mean you're following Christ. <laughs> it's following when following Christ requires you to make tough calls, then you make them right. There's a, there's a way that actually we can truly set our face towards natural obligations after we have set our face toward our own Jerusalems, and we and we go the way of the cross. With Mary coming back after the yeah right? yeah when we go the way of the cross, that's when we actually have a face that can be turned towards our family. That's that, that's, good. that's not in gonna. I mean, this is this is C.S. Lewis again. Is until we have faces, he got this character that that puts on a mask and lives out this role very well, in my opinion, with the mask on. But in so doing, gorges the selves of others, mm-hmm. and uh, it's like here the the turning of the face that's gone the way of our own Jerusalem's and is crucified with Christ and is now raised with him has the face of Christ that is yet our own face that can be truly turned towards our family, so that what they see in us is not one who's going to engorge their their identities and take their identities in themselves, but precisely they're going to see Christ in us and can see that's what they want to set their face toward as well. And so it becomes this kind of not, not system that, that collapses in on itself, but it's a system that's, that's always perpetuating and moving and moving ahead can be advanced because it's consistently towards Christ that we're facing from, from transformed selves. Yeah, that's beautiful. And it matches the structure of Luke and Acts where, I mean, the whole story of Acts is full of, Churches being established in homes that, you know, I mean, it's not, it doesn't, it isn't, it doesn't have this same kind of vibe, mm-hmm. you know, but it, this is what's required of those who are going to carry the gospel across those boundaries. Yeah. Well, that's really cool, man. Hey, thanks for, uh, thanks for geeking out with me. I think we've had enough time and I think you need to go and I need to go and it's been about an hour. So I'm sure all our listeners already went, uh, but if they're still here, we say thank you for listening and thank you uh aaron as always for uh dropping in so often it's really fun to do this with you hey if i might plug one yeah oh one yeah thing, plugs. Uh, wesley seminary it. podcast we just did an episode with uh dr roly martinson who talks about aging faith and ministry to the aged nice and, that and would fit it fits perfectly so check it out the wesley seminary podcast with uh dr roland martinson yeah great so yeah that would have dropped in april just this May. week what's what's okay. today so today yeah, is so, may the or sorry april yeah, we're working ahead so this will drop in june so, so look for the West Seminary yeah. podcast on April 18, Thursday, yeah. April 18. Scroll back for that and yep. check out West Seminary podcast in general, of course, Woo. always be coming out. And, uh, yeah. So thanks so much to listeners. Thanks to Aaron. Thanks to, uh, Eric Fisher for his uh, production work. It's greatly appreciated. Thanks to Tom Adamson for donating the, uh, um, theme music. Greatly appreciate that too. Make sure to, uh, like, subscribe, all that business on uh, online and uh, rate and review us if you get a chance and let, get the word out about what we're up to here. And uh, with that said, I say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye.